Blog Talk Radio. Show is now in the air, spotlighted on BadRedHeadMedia.com as an author podcast for the ages, called a total blast of a show for writers. My name is Robert Batista, and you may ask, why is the Funky Writer Show so terrific? Because I'm a writer, just like my guests, and know that words are the breath of life. Connect with the show on the exciting Twitter page by going to at the Funky Writer. I'll never claim to be an expert at any one project because I'm a firm believer that my experience and skills come from my willingness to take what I know and continue to learn how to do it better by using my resources wisely and networking with those who do consider themselves experts. I could brag about all of the experiences I have, but we know that in this line of work, word of mouth speaks louder than bragging. These are the insightful words of today's special guest, Mimi Wright. Welcome to the Funky Writer Show, Mimi Wright. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Okay, okay. You relax now? <laughs> yes, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm that's sitting in my good, that's good. <laughs> Mimi, your personal resume is vast. Let's start off by you enlightening our audience as to your background and life's journey to how you got to where you are today. Okay. Um, well, my the majority of my adult background is in the nonprofit industry, um, in uh, service groups, and I I, I uh, specialize in um, volunteer management. Um, working with a bunch of different agencies, uh, I was with Girl Scouts for 14 years, and then I was with a, a nonprofit that focuses on um, providing uh, reconstructive surgery for kids with uh, birth defects. And then I transferred out of that and went to my first. Uh, for-profit job as an office administrator for a gaming company um, in Southern California. And then um, I left that and, and am now trying this, this, um, this self-publishing assistance <laughs> um, project through my brother um, who, who asked, you know, asked me to help him with the project. And I, I seem to have flourished in that area at this point. So I've just used all the skill sets I've, used, I've learned over the past 20 five years or so, and I'm now working on this project. As legend has it, 
after working as a freelance project manager for more than 20 years, as you've done, you Mm -hmm. formed your own company, The Right Group LLC, in 2015. So, Mimi, how were your first baby steps after the company started? What challenges did you have in the beginning? Uh, well, the challenges, it's still, it's the, the company itself is still evolving. So um, some of the challenges with the right group was, you know, what, where do I want to focus on? Do I want to focus on event planning, which is a lot of stuff I did in prior jobs or right. small business assistance, um, you know, which I, I've just done over the years, people hiring me for little, you know, for specific projects um, regarding their small business or um, did I want to really focus on the self-publishing, which has become the largest project that I've been doing with the right group. So um, the evolution of it, it, it's still, because it's still new, we're still trying to, you know, tweak, okay, exactly what what do we want to be the primary focus? And so those challenges are that, you know, I love to do event planning, I love to be involved in the community, I love, you know, all all of these things, but the one that seems to be, you know, gaining its momentum right now is the self-publishing. That's where we're going (laughs) right now. Mimi, at what point through the publishing process did you decide you could or should make a business out of it? Uh, Well, with this one, I would say probably about two weeks in (laughs) because uh, there's a lot of – I had to do a lot of self-teaching. So I would would say – um, probably 20, 30 hours of webinars and online courses and, um, and e-books that I was just reading, 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 reading. And I had decided like, okay, I can do this, but I've already spent so much time on this that if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to do it more than once. This is, it definitely evolved so quickly that I, I'm, I knew I wasn't going to take all of that information that I learned. And at the time that I was, I was taking to, you know, learn about this industry that I wasn't going to just do a one-time project. And so, you know, I, I spoke with my client who's also my brother um, and I'm like, all right, if we're going to do this, <laughs> I need to do, you know, it needs to be, a, you know, more than just his one thing. And, and it, and it has turned into that. The things you do are so vast, but being that this show is all about the written word, I'd like to Mm -hmm. highlight your self-publishing side of your company, specifically the dramatic launch of the book Voice for the Silent Fathers on June 1st. First Mm -hmm. off, Mm -hmm. how did the launch go last Wednesday? Um, we're still, we're still bringing in the, you know, calculating the numbers. Um, like I said, I am, I am new to this. So I, I feel like I'm checking every statistic available. So I don't have any, you know, solid numbers, but, um, you know, I know, you know, we've, we've, you know, I think we've sold a couple of hundred copies at this point. Um, do I know how many of those were our friends and family? No. Um, <laughs> but I know, yeah. So, so of course, you know, they could all be my friends and family. I, I have no idea, but, um, you know, people are commenting on the Facebook page and the Twitter page and we're getting lots of responses from there. Um, and then tomorrow we actually have, we're doing our first, uh, you know, launch party or reading and I have about 25 people coming to that, you know, so, so that kind of expresses like, Oh, we, there is some, some interest and, in, you know, um, excitement about, you know, reading into, you know, our families, you know, my brother's personal story and wanting to know a little bit more about it. So each company does a launch 
in its own way. You said this is mm-hmm. new to you. What right. was the launch about on Wednesday? How did you go about the launch? What did you do? Um, we did a lot of uh, marketing, advertising on you know Facebook, Twitter. We did email blasts. Um, you know, begging and pleading again with friends and family. <laughs> I think that's the that's the part of it. You just you just ask everybody to share and share. You know, all of their friends. We did. Um, you know, part of the challenge with this particular project is that the author um, is behind bars, and so I'm having to you know come up with creative ways to market and get ready for any right. launch and any any project we're doing. So we had to. You know, we. I saw a lot of authors, they do the book trailers, you know, but I was like, okay, how am I going to do a book trailer with, and Eddie can't be in the book. (laughs) He can't be in it. But what we did is, you know, we had him call, we recorded his voice, you know, he read the synopsis, we inserted that into a book trailer that I had somebody designed for us. And we got a lot of positive responses saying that, you know what, hearing Eddie's voice tell, you know, what the book was about, you know, was you know, what nailed it for us and, and, you know, put that emotional component in that I, one, as a female, couldn't do on a book that's called Voice for the Silent Fathers, and two, that a bunch of still pictures probably, you know, wouldn't be as effective. They needed to hear his voice and how he would, how he felt about it, and so we we were able to do that. And then um, we also had one of the things, because it's such a personal story, um, my a lot of people want to know, well, what does your nephew say about, you know, his dad, you know, putting his business out, out there in the street like that or telling that side of his story and, and how, you know, strained their relationship was. And um, Andrew, my nephew, he just he simply wrote a letter that he read on video to the readers so that we can use that as, you know, okay, the questions are coming in, asking how, what you think about this, and so tell them. And he did. So we had a video where he, you know, like we call it open letter to the readers. And, you know, we come up with creative ways like that to market the book, to get ready for the launch. And I think it worked. I think it worked. Great, great. Sounds very interesting. So um, let's talk about the book's author. Uh, We know he's your brother. And mm-hmm. we also know that he's currently incarcerated. Um, Correct. Can you give us more of his background? Um, his background, well, he'd be, he, he's been incarcerated for 11 years. Um, and he, he how the, the story evolves, you know, starts when he was about 18 when he first got Andrew, uh, my nephew. Um, and he, he just talks about, you know, if you figure – 11 years ago, um, you know, now, now it's, it's easier to, um, a man having a, a homosexual child is, it's easier to talk about now, but 11 years right. ago when he's eight, 18, you know, and, and, or, you know, or long, longer than that, but when he was 18, it wasn't, it was a hush hush. It was taboo. It was no way. And my brother, you know, unfortunately he did have a, he's not as, you know, he did have a gangster background. Um, you know, he was, he got into trouble when he was, you know, a lot younger. Um, and he, that street mentality did not afford for him to have a support system to deal with the fact that he had a gay son. Um, and so he didn't have, he felt like he didn't have friends to talk to. He didn't, my, my dad and, and our family, we were all of the mindset of, oh, he'll grow out of it. And he, he was very frustrated and embarrassed and angry and all of these things that he thought, he should be able to fix that he couldn't. And so this, the whole book talks about 
how um, frustrating this experience was for him because he just felt like he was there alone. Um, it, it does go into a little bit of his, his you know, criminal background. It goes into the relationship that he had with my nephew's mom, which was very strained and torn. Um, it goes into how, you know, my mom, you know, our mom, you know, was his support system as much as she could under the circumstances. And, um, and then it goes into how just culturally he was, he was in the, um, hip hop industry and he was, you know, he was a, a street gangster and how there was, you know, practically no support whatsoever for him there in that, in that arena. So he just goes through, he brings us through the entire process of what he was thinking and, and then how eventually when we get to the end of the book, how he is, you know, learned that it doesn't, you know, he needed to just love his son. He needed to love his son. He needed to appreciate, you know, that he had a kid and he needed to, you know, not be so, you know, so spend so much time and effort and energy and anger trying to change him because it wasn't going to happen. So why did Eddie Wright decide to author Voice for the Silent Fathers? Why did he feel a need to write such a revealing, introspective, personal story? Um, I think initially it was he, he – I think there was a lot of guilt. He was very um, guilty on how the relationship when, – when he first got put locked up, the relationship between him and Andrew, it was torn just because he was just – he was angry and right, he was embarrassed. Right. And so – so he, um, you know, of course, he, he was there, I think. He, I think he was probably incarcerated for three years before he really started writing. And then once he started writing, no stopping him. He just, right. he has not stopped since. He, he writes, chat, he writes and writes, and that's all he does all day, every day. He's just, he's got another series of books coming out after this. But once he started writing on this subject, I think it, it he realized, hold on, I need to tell my story so he can heal for himself. Then he needed. Then he realized that telling his story was going to help Andrew, my nephew, understand what his dad's thought process was around this whole thing. And then, you know, it, it became a healing thing internally for him alone. And then once he started sharing it with my nephew and sharing it with, you know, with the family members, then it, it became a healing healing piece for everybody. Even though there is some hurtful and scary and sad parts that we're all, you know, trying to deal with. But in, in the end, when it all is said and done, it has become a healing piece. And he, re- he realized that a couple of years ago, and he just he knew he needed to do it. Mimi, you have graciously agreed to read for us. Can you set up the piece before you read it? Yes, I can. I've, I, I, I've been going back and forth with this for about three days trying to figure out what piece I wanted to write or read. And I, I feel like one being the sister of the author and then two being a female again, you know, the, the book is called voice for the silent fathers. I felt like I would do an injustice if I read um, one of the chapters coming from a dad's perspective and, you know, sounding like I do, I, I, I don't have the high pitched girly girly voice, but I feel like, the the um, the actual text of the book, you know, needs to come from a male's voice. So I've chosen to read the introduction just so people, so the readers can get, or your listeners can get an understanding of 
where my brother's mindset was when he began this journey. Okay. Okay. All right. Are we ready? Yes, we are. Yes. Okay. All righty. So <laughs> here we go. Again, you know, just please let every, all the listeners know that this is, I am speaking in, you know, in, in my brother's words, just the introduction of the book. So um, was there anything I could do to stop my son's homosexuality? When did I know my son was gay? What made him that way? I've witnessed the desperation in the eyes of fathers from all walks of life who have pulled me aside away from listening ears, wanting to know the answers to their questions, analyzing the possibilities of why their son might be gay. Some weren't even sure if their sons were gay. Mothers seem to be more liberal about their son's decision to choose what makes them happy in life and, most importantly, who they share their lives with. However, for fathers, nine times out of ten, the topic is taboo especially with the fathers who I've met in federal prison or on the opposite end of the spectrum working with celebrities in the entertainment business. I can tell you this, though. I never thought I would write a book and never a book on the topic about this, but life is funny that way. I found myself raising a son at 18 years old. I was still a kid myself with a baby boy headed down that taboo highway. I was confused, frustrated, and angry at the world. Why me, I often thought in those early days. Why has life thrown me this crazy curveball? Back when it wasn't so easy to talk to my friends about my son's odd behavior, some things you just didn't talk about. So I struggled, <clears throat> so I struggled alone, doing everything I could to stop the unstoppable because I wanted a son who would grow up to be a man like me. I wanted a son that had lots of girlfriends and who would one day save up three months' salary at his very manly job and place an engagement ring on the finger of the woman who stole his heart, his beautiful future wife, not some life partner. Back then, with my limited knowledge of being gay, I would picture a pervert infected with AIDS that molested little boys, because isn't that what homosexuals do? In the crowd I hung out with, um, in the crowd I hung out with, I wasn't the only person to think that way. If Drew chose that path, I was fully prepared to relinquish any and every association I had with him. I know you're thinking, how could you feel that way about your own son, gay or not? I had a tough mindset being a teenage dad. I thought that I could at least solve the problem for both of us. If he hated me, he wouldn't want to see me, which was cool with me. I didn't want to see him walking around with a limp wrist anyway. I was at a crossroad without a compass with no one to advise me on such an unorthodox situation. Didn't most fathers disassociate themselves from their child once they found out they were going to like men? I pushed back the wall, my son's gay future, with both hands, fighting, cursing, and questioning both God and my sanity. I'm old school and hard-headed with the way I believe, with the way I think, believing I could change what was meant to be. My experience should help any person that has someone in his or her life that lives differently, specifically if that person is your gay or lesbian child. Stereotypes attached to homosexuality have a staggering effect on society. I retained many of, my, many of those stereotypes. I used derogatory terms. I made queer jokes and laughed openly um, at anyone living an alternative lifestyle. Ironically, the universe thought it was appropriate to put me in the situation of having a gay son. Me, Eddie Wright, street entrepreneur, ladies' man, and hustler. The critical point to be made here was that I was a black man. I, as a black man, I myself was being prejudiced against my own flesh and blood. As a black man in America, that's a hard pill to swallow and very embarrassing to admit. 
book is meant to teach other fathers and all parents of gay children the lessons I learned the hard way and should start a discussion on having a meaningful relationship between fathers and their children, no matter whether they choose to live gay, straight, or somewhere in between. This book is Voice for the Silent Fathers, for those going through the same thing I went through, and my voice will be silent no more. Amen. 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 Thanks for that. <laughs> Thanks for that. That was that was mm-hmm. great. Um, Mimi, a five-star Amazon review of this book by Rita J. Egan states in part, how wonderful to read a story from someone who talks about his journey so honestly. Eddie Wright invites you into the mind of a father trying to understand his son's homosexuality in such a raw, transparent way. The author doesn't sugarcoat his earlier feelings, which sends the message to other parents that they are not alone in this journey of accepting their children the way they are. The love between Eddie and his son may be complicated, but it's real. And in the end, it's really a story about a man coming of age after becoming a father. Wow. Great review. Mm -hmm. Mimi, I guess one of the best things in Eddie is so honest in telling his story, as Rita says. Would you agree? Yes, I would would agree. And, you know, considering this, he's telling his personal story, but it's my family. And I did, I have to admit that I did go through, I was like, oh, I can't believe he said that. (laughs) Or, you know, because it's. (laughs) <laughs> partly embarrassing, but then, you know, my mother feels the same way, and and my nephew, um, one of the other things we, you know, like I said earlier, we had my nephew read a letter, but he says, you know, that how embarrassing that my dad wants to tell the world how he was disgusted with me, and he didn't like me, and he just didn't, you know, all of this, and not only was he just writing it out, he wa- he wanted it to be published, and um, I think all of us have gone through this whole thing where, all right, Ed, you know, you don't have to be that real. You know, you could have, you know, you know, not dumbed it down, but you could have softened it up. And he said, no, I couldn't. That's how I felt, and that's what I thought. And we, as his family and friends, we had to accept that that's what he was – that was his mindset and his thought process at the time. And it took getting through this process for him to heal himself, heal his relationship with his son, and be able to open it up so that other people realize, you know, like it's definitely not – only a straight father gay son topic it's it's talking about relationships and how we um how how we get defensive and we get hateful and when we don't understand or we don't agree with something um and he, he in order to make sure we knew that he had to he had to hit us hard with it and we were all like ooh. wow <laughs> we could have gone for the rest of our lives without the rest of the world knowing that but he he felt like they need to know, and now now that it now that it's done, I agree. I do agree with him. Yeah, and like you said, it's not only a father son story; it's basically a universal story. Correct. So, Mimi, um, you talked about Andrew, his son, and the letter mm-hmm. he wrote, and how their relationship is good now. But I, I'm really curious and interested about the mother, Andrew's mother. Mm-hmm. Did uh-huh. she have any part in the beginning process of the book, the thought process, and what did she think about the story? Um, I, I haven't spoken to her about what she thinks about the story. She is there is a lot of mention of her, especially the probably through the first half of the book, simply because they were both teens. They were both. Um, she's a year younger than Eddie, so uh, she was seventeen, and right. um, 
and neither of them had any experience being a parent. Um, there was that whole, they were both each other's first love. So there was, there was a lot of, uh, discord and anger just between the two of them, whether there was a kid involved or not. Right. Just, you know, that, just that simple, you know, Oh, you know, you were supposed to be my boyfriend forever. And you know, obviously that didn't happen. Um, so there is a lot of tension, uh, talked about between the two of them when they were younger. Um, she did not have an active part in the book, meaning like, she did. There wasn't a contribution from her other than right. Eddie retelling his experiences with her. Um, we did have a lot of concern that you know she was going to be angry at, at at you know what what Eddie said about her and their relationship. Um, and so we checked with Andrew. You know, we did talk with Andrew. Like you know, this is this is you know, it's putting some dirt out on your dad. It's putting some dirt out on your mom. And he's like, it's my life. That's he's just like. Everyone's going to have to get over it. This, this is, I, I lived it. They're, you know, they can get their feelings hurt. They can be angry. They can be whatever. But he, coming from his perspective, both of his parents had issues, and they put a lot of that on him. And, you know, them fighting with each other was, you know, was, just, you know, was hurting towards him rather than helping him. They, they right, both, right. Both, both parents had, were in a place where they were being selfish and only thinking about themselves rather than, you know, putting the interest of the baby. And, you know, and, and now that he's 25 years old, he's like, you know what, that's what they get. You know, they both, they both just have to deal with what the choices they made then and hopefully they've learned from them and, you know, will not do it again. So Andrew's 25 years old now? Yep, he's 25 and doing so well. We're so proud of him. <laughs> that, that, that is so good to hear. Um, yep. Let's switch gears and talk okay. about Mimi Wright. Let's talk about you, okay. Mimi Wright, okay. the person. Where did okay. you grow up and what was your childhood like? Um, I grew up in Long Island, New York, and I I have a different view of my childhood than my brother. <laughs> I, I feel like um, I, I obviously had it easier. Um, we where we grew up, we were the only well, not we were the only black family. We were the only mixed family. My mother's white. Um, my dad was not in, involved in our family. He left when we were you know babies, um, and we grew up in a, a town that was there was us, and I think all going through from elementary school to high school, there was one black teacher maybe a couple of other families scattered around, but, you know, it was us. So we, we had these challenges that were put in front of us, but I think as a the female um, of the two children, and I was the social butterfly, I was the everybody's friend, I was the big kid, I was always the older one. Um, I kind of, I, I think I had it way easier than my brother who, Right. You know, once he be, once he became a teenager, and you know the the you know he had the attitude, he became a threat that I I didn't, um, and people looked at him different just because he was a male. Um, right. There was you know we we my mom did her best. My mom went to school while we were younger. She got her master's degree. She was uh, you know pivotal in the community. She 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 did everything that she could to make sure we had a great life. And, you know, I still go home. She lives in the same house. I go home to my neighborhood. When I go back to visit, I go back to the same house. I see the same neighbors, the people I grew up with. um, And I feel I could leave California and go back home now and feel fine. (laughs) There's no, I don't have that 
uncomfortable feeling about, you know, my, my childhood or anything. My brother, on the other hand, he might, there might be some tension because we just, we had different experiences. There was, you know, whereas I ran away from, you know, getting in trouble any way, shape or form, because I felt like my mother would step out of the the closet. Like I felt like she knew everything. He, he was a little more more brave. He, he took more chances. I, I, that wasn't me. <laughs> I was. I just wanted to be friends with everybody and get along. I was very active in sports and very active in school and and all of that. And I, 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 I liked my childhood. I didn't have a. I did not have a problem with it, at all. Very interesting. <laughs> uh, Long Island. Huh? Uh, what part of Long mm-hmm. Island? In Smithtown, Suffolk County, right smack Suffolk, in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Right, because uh, yeah, we're both New Yorkers. I'm from Brooklyn, born okay. and raised. Yep, I, so <laughs> I can hear it. <laughs> I, I know Long Island definitely. So, mm-hmm. what were some of the books and authors that inspired you, Mimi, in your youth? Um, in my oh oh my goodness, you put me on the spot. The, <laughs> um, I let me I I by name I wouldn't know. And that, I know that my my mother is probably downstairs listening, wanting to choke me to sleep right now. Um, I, I was not I was not an avid reader when I was younger. Okay. I, I was it. I read because I had to read. Um, you know, whatever assignment it was, I, it wasn't a leisure of mine. I was very um, sports minded, and you know, so kept my time there. My mother, on the other hand, you know, I, I don't know if I, there's a day by that goes by that you don't see her with a book. So I know that drove her crazy that that didn't leap over into my life. Um, and now, you know, as an adult, you know, I'm seeing I'm like, oh, I did my, my children a disservice by not, you know, incorporate. I, I have one. I have three children. One of them is an avid reader. He can read 600 pages in a weekend. And I'm like, where did you get that from? You have to get that from Graham. <laughs> He had to, because he did not get it from me or his dad. I know, I know. <laughs> so, um, to, for me to, I would, I would be making it up if I told you I had a favorite author when I was a kid. I would, I would be totally making it up because that was. Well, we, we definitely yeah. wouldn't want you to do that, being that yeah. this is a show about writing, huh? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, and and that's the thing that that you know how I one of the things about me getting thrown into this that I'm like. You know, a, you know, I'm like, Eddie, you've got me self-publishing for you. I'm like, and I, I, it's not anything that I ever thought of. It was just, but it is, it is a, something you can learn, but you've got to take the time. This is not, um, you know, part of this process, you know, when I first looked into it, people say, oh, anybody could be a self-publisher. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, they can't. It, it's very, it's time consuming just to, to sit and learn and whether you're watching webinars or, or reading the, you know, 200 page ebook that somebody felt like this is the one you need to, you know, you need to read. It was, it was a learning process that I had to, you know, take to, before I could even commit to, you know, telling my brother, yes, I will do this for you. Cause I didn't want to do it wrong. Um, and so considering that, you know, reading a book a day wasn't in my, my history, I was like, Oh, this is going to be challenging. <laughs> so, you know, but it was a challenge I took on and I think I've, you know, I'm not going to say I mastered it. Like I, like you said in my intro, I'm, and I won't say I mastered, it, but I think I've, I've learned a lot and, and you know, we'll be better with the next one. So this Mimi piggybacks into my next question. Um, mm-hmm. What creative ideas did you use to market Voice for the Silent Fathers? 
Um, well, like I said earlier, we did the, we did the book trailer because I felt like it needed to be more um, more than just additional words. You know, of course, we want everyone to read the book, but if I keep you know repeating the synopsis over and over again, I, I think people you know just they just turn it off. So we had to come up with a way to you know get the the book out there. Um, you know, with the, so we did the book trailer. We brought in you know had had recorded Eddie's voice doing the synopsis. So that uh, because once you read the intro or his bio, he doesn't hide that he's incarcerated. So I know a lot of people were like, how does he have a Facebook page? How does he have Instagram? And he's in jail. And and I have to tell people, I'm like, I'm I'm managing it all for him. He tells me what to write. And you're doing a great job, Mimi. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So I had to people don't realize and especially if, if they just skim over what the book's about and don't catch that thing, that that part where it says he's incarcerated. They think that's all him, and I'm like, oh, hold on, because <laughs> people will send messages, and you know, sometimes they'll be a little bit personal messages, and I'm like, okay, this is Mimi. I'm responding on behalf of Eddie. I'm going to forward your message, and then he'll respond back, and then they're like, oh, we thought he had access to, you know, Facebook in jail. I'm like, yeah, no, no, he does, <laughs> he doesn't. Um, so I I manage manage all of his social media, his websites, and all of that, and so we I have to get creative. Because, of course, I want to present it like it's him. Right. But once, if people are going to take time out of their schedule to send a private message or to respond to something, I have to acknowledge that, okay, it's going to take me a little bit, you know, might take a day or two for him to respond, but I'm acknowledging that you, you know, left a message. Like every review that somebody sends, um, whether they send it to us via email through the website or whatever, I, I respond with, Okay, this this is Mimi speaking on behalf of Eddie. It's going to take a day or two for him to respond to you, and so they, you know, it kind of shocks people because they're like, "Oh, I didn't. I thought it was him." And I'm like, "No, it's all me." I'm, you know, but he he gives me all the content. Anything I have not made up anything that's on there. I tell him, you know, you know what, you know, a I need a thank you letter, or a I need you to acknowledge this, or you know, give me a blog, something to blog. He sends it to me, and I just make sure it gets on there. So. You know, we've had to be creative in that sense that there's a, a third component that most people who are managing their Facebook page, they don't have to worry about. I have to worry about that every piece of communication is going through the, the prison guards and they're going to approve or disapprove it. Um, every, everything that, you know, a, a regular author who's here doing their own stuff, they can wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, think of something, and post it at 2 o'clock in the morning. I've got to, you know, wait for an email to come from Eddie, and then I got to proofread it. I got to make sure it's okay, and then I got to, you know, post it up. Or if I have an idea, if I have, you know, something that I want him to respond to, I need to send it. He's got to type it. He's got to send it back. We got to wait. You know, it's just a little, you know, an extra step that other people don't have to do. But we've we made it work, so (laughs) it's working for us. and then I had to, what else did we do? We did the video with Andrew. We've got, um, I, I got some, because it is a, a touchy subject that people either um, they don't want to, they, they don't know how they feel about, you know, the, the subject. We decided, you know, like, you know, let's get some simple T-shirts on. They're just, it's a black T-shirt with the hashtag Voice for the Silent Fathers because if, if someone asks, it could be about any subject, any any right. relationship, you know, it doesn't have to be about oh my friend, you know, got a gay kid. It, we don't, I, that's not the message we're trying to relay. We're, right, we're like I said, it's that, a universal story, exactly. Right, right. and we're, we're trying to make sure everybody knows that the voice of the sound of fathers, because fathers in general, 
they're supposed to keep everything in and they're supposed to be strong and they can handle everything. And, you know, relationships, especially if there's any, any stray from what they believe a relationship is supposed to be, is difficult for a dad if he's not willing to, to step back for a second and say, okay, let me either listen to somebody or let me have someone to talk to. And so we, so we just came up with it, you know, like we're not going to put the cover on the book. It's just going to be the hashtag, Voice for the Silent Fathers. And if someone asks, whoever's reading the shirt, this is what it means for me. Go check out the book. Yeah, and we just let it, we're just letting it go. <laughs> we're going to see how that works. And, and yes. uh, because we don't want to, you don't want to be in everyone's face about, you know, the, the, the personal story that it is for Eddie because it's, it's way beyond that for other people. Yes, yes. Um, in closing, uh, I have mm-hmm. to ask you what I feel is a pertinent question. Now, I know okay. you're not your brother. I know you're not Eddie. But I-, I would like for you to answer this question the best way possible. So, okay. instead of it being Andrew, the gay son, let's uh-huh. say it would have been Andrea, the gay uh-huh. daughter. How okay. do you think Eddie would have reacted, and do you think Voice for Silent Fathers would still have been written? Um, I don't think Eddie would have been as harsh. It's funny because there is – well, it's not funny, but you, you say Andrea. There, there was a little time period in, throughout, the, throughout the book where Andrew showed up at the door and said he's Andrea. And he, you know, he had decided that, that he, he was, that's what he was going to do. And it was, it was a shock for all of us. Um, the, I think it would have been easier for Eddie to deal with having a lesbian daughter. Right. Than a gay man, a gay son, because simply in, in the mindset where he was 18 years, when he was 18 years old, you got to think this is, this is, you know, 23 and four and five years ago that, it would have been way easier for Eddie to blame all of it on his on the baby's mom, and okay. like you know, hey, that you know he would have he would it would have been and and it, then it was it would be more accepting. Oh, your 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 little girl. It's even back then it was more accepting for someone to be lesbian than to be gay. You know, lesbian. You know, it's it's just like all right, she just doesn't know yet. With gay, they think that there's some kind of you know mental defect. Yes. Yes. With a child, and and so I think that the book is still relevant for that type of relationship. If there's a if there's a strain in a parent-child relationship, even if it's a, just a girl who's a lesbian, the the book is still relevant for that. I just don't think there would have been so much anger in the book. There's a lot of anger and, and frustration and, in Eddie because he felt yes he felt like he was in this bubble all by himself, and all the rest of us kept saying is oh he'll grow out of it. Get over yourself, Eddie. Stop being a brat. Stop being mean. Stop being so angry. And he just felt like he was doing going through all that by himself. It's interesting that you brought up that. It's interesting that you brought up that double standard of how Uh we treat a gay son as opposed to a gay daughter. It's very interesting that you said that. Yeah, and it's more. I think that you know. a gay a man, a straight man who know who you know he's got two children, and one of them show that he's he'll probably still be disappointed, like oh what did I, what what did I do wrong? What's going on? Why does she like women? But then you're like okay, well I'd rather have a lesbian daughter than you know my son, you know who's you know is my namesake, my everything, whatever you know, and it, it's it's a, a pride thing for a lot of men, I think. 
that it's they're just like no you know like Eddie Eddie says it over and over in the book no son of mine and I think that a lot of men have that mentality and we need to back down from that because it could happen to you it it happens to way more than exactly exactly very very so yeah very well put exactly so um, we're just about out of time so what's next for Mimi Wright. What other irons do you have in the fire coming up? I mean, you 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 have your finger in so many pies. What are you working right. on next? Um, if, if the what what is funny to me, I'm going from this intense subject of you know and this personal story that is so relevant. My next book that's coming out um, that I'm I'm publishing um, for someone who like you know uh, connected with via you know me me announcing a voice for the silent fathers. But it's a children's book, right, <laughs> and it's a right. it's called it's called Annabelle. Annabelle lost her head. It's a children's book. It's a fun little story about a girl and her her adventures with her favorite doll, and a totally total different you know different uh, street we're going down with that publishing that book. <laughs> um, and that yeah, yeah that's I'm a like, good I'm, thing. you know what? I need a break. I need something that's not yeah, so intense. That's, that's a good thing. That's a good <laughs> um, thing. And then after that, um, Eddie does have, uh, again, he's got a series of uh, self-help books that he's been working on after he finished uh, Voice from the Silent Fathers. And it's a series. It's called Gangster the Guru. Um, and there's different subjects. He's got a, um, a cookbook for inmates and college students. He's got a parenting from behind bars. He's got a, um, you know, how to, how to um, what is it, um, you know, like taking control of your own mental health. And, you know, he be, because he's a, he's a yoga instructor, like he says in his right. bio. And so how, right. you know, you can, there's resources for everybody out, but that each individual needs to take control and charge of, of their own mental health first. And then if you still need help, you go get your help. Um, so he's got these, uh, you know, um, uh, a series of more, uh, they're shorter stories. They won't be as, as, uh, as intense as voice for the silent fathers. And it talks about different phases of his life, you know, where, when, when he was decided to, you know, become a fitness, um, you know, to, to focus on fitness and get healthy. When he went into jail, he was 300 plus pounds, you know, now he's, you know, 160 and healthy and, you know, he eats right. He, he changed his eating habits. He changed his you know, and he talks about that and how others can, you know, incorporate that mindset to, you know, make themselves better. So where is Eddie now? Is he out in California or, or where? N- no, he is. Um, he is in New York, actually, right now. New York. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Mimi, give out any contact information how people can follow you, contact okay. you, learn more about what you do, order books. Give okay. out any contact information. Okay, well, my my website for the for the M Wright Group is mwrightgroup.com, dot com, and there you can find out what projects I'm working on as a self publisher and small business assistant. Um, I'm also on Facebook. You can just M Wright Group. I try to keep it easy and keep it the same. So M Wright Group all over the place, and I should pop up. Um, as far as the book, um, everything Voice for the Silent Fathers, everything I've mentioned, the videos of Andrew, the book trailer, and all of that is all on Voice for the Silent Fathers including the links to all the social media outlets. This has been the Funky Writers Show with me, Robert Batista. I'm at, at author R. Batista on Twitter. Look for my free short stories, Carmela's Dream and My Baby Has No Name on Smashwords.com. My guest has been the dynamic entrepreneur, business owner, publisher, and so much more. 
Mimi Wright. Make sure you visit you. her fantastic website, mwrightgroup.com, and feast your soul. Thank you so much, Mimi, for being a guest on the Funky Writers Show. And thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you, and have a great evening. Bye now. All right, you too. Bye-bye.